Where are we going? Welcome to this exclusive podcast produced by Spirit Watch Ministries that will show where life in our darkening times is now turning and how you can avoid the detours of deception through the hope of biblical truth. The Lord Jesus in Matthew 24 warned us over two millennia ago and how urgently we need to heed him now. Our host is Pastor Rafael Martinez, a seasoned Northwest Indiana-based minister, intercessor, and counter-cult apologist who will help you discern the journey of change we're all on as the last day of the last days now winds down. For more information, check out our Facebook page and our website at spiritwatch.org. Now. Here's Pastor Raphael. Hello, I'm Raphael Martinez, a minister within the Church of God Cleveland Movement and a director of Spirit Watch Ministries, an outreach providing biblical discernment in a time of deception. Our podcast is called Where Are We Going? and seeks to supply answers to a great question that a lot of people are asking these days about the direction our world is presently taking. Our days are increasingly shadowed by anxiety, violence, deception, and oppression at so many levels. And it's so difficult to really understand where our world is heading. So from one small portion of that, uh, the podcast, Where Are We Going?, is something that we're providing that will do all it can to shine light and hope where we possibly can in the area of spiritual discernment. These podcasts will give you a solidly biblical perspective on our deceptive times of trouble. Uh, We've been covering cultism, deception, and spiritual abuse issues since we've launched a little over a year ago, and an upcoming podcast will touch on the other deeper issues driving these sadly all-too-visible signs of even deeper trouble in human society. So we really hope you'll keep joining us for those as well. It's easy to find our podcast on the internet at our spiritwatch.org ministry website or on Facebook using the search term Spirit Watch Ministries. Links to them will be on our homepage and our Facebook page, as well as our blog, uh, the Spirit Watch Unchained blogspot link. Uh, we'll put, post them all there for easy access with a couple of mouse clicks. So, so just bookmark us. Share the links with friends, family, your tax collectors, uh, uh, your teachers, your mechanics. Uh, help us build our audience if we can. Uh, we're now currently being pressured. Uh, we're currently being uh, uh, carried by both Amazon and, and and Spotify as well. So we are so grateful to have uh, folks coming from there, and we thank you for visiting us today. We hope that uh, you'll find something worthy to listening and to uh, bookmark us and come back again. We're pressing on with our Ministry of Discernment that focuses on the Xenos Dwell Movement that we've been talking about for uh, for some time here on on the podcast. Uh, it's based in Columbus, Ohio. It's it's one of the one of the most uh, I think probably one of the most pernicious cults that you've probably never heard of. And uh, we're hoping that uh, as time goes by that uh, you'll see why. If you still have not quite uh, got got down to the, to the bottom of it, uh, we think that our podcast has have tried our very best to provide balanced and sound information on that. So, um, and that stems from the work we, we were we were doing on um, me and Megan Cox from the Beyond Zion Foundation. Uh, we were doing work on a yet to be released documentary on Xenos last December, and that's going to be documenting the daily abuses and spiritual outrages that uh, the movement uh, has perpetuated for over 50 years there among untold thousands of idealistic young men and women who got involved in Xenos, got attracted to it after, after being recruited. Uh, they were got, 
evolve with as part of their own personal noble search for understanding and meaning and connection with God. And that's certainly nothing wrong with that. That's certainly, I think it's certainly a very laudable thing, but, but, um, they, as they sought this, this connection with God, this kingdom, they only found themselves becoming slaves to an organization that's built by men to perpetuate their own little kingdoms. And the sad thing is they truly, truly believe they're doing God's work in, in that, in that effort. And it's really, uh, just quite the opposite. So, um, so today's guest, uh, is Steve Cardosa, who was an art actual former leader in Xenos slash well, who emailed us a while back and who we're delighted to invite to our virtual studio here. We're hoping, uh, that you're going to find his insights and sharing to be most informative as we've, uh, and I've really enjoyed visiting with him as well. So, so, so thanks for coming, Steve. Thanks for coming on the, the podcast today. All right, Raphael. Thanks for having me. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Great. So much. So tell us a little more about about who you are and uh, and uh, and what you're doing and why you're doing this. Yeah. <laughs> My name is Steve Cardoza, and like you said, I was a leader in Xenos for um, gosh, probably about um, seventeen or eighteen years. Um, I was a member of the college ministry in the '90s, um, the adult ministry throughout the uh, the 2000s and 20-teens. Um, ended up leaving in 2018. Uh, the reason I wanted to to uh, the reason I reached out to you actually was um, one of your podcasts a few weeks ago. I was listening to your podcast a few weeks ago, and you were talking to um, a woman who was uh, kicked out for sexual sin. And as I was listening to your podcast, it just brought back. Um, a flood of memories and then my wife and I both, you know, independently had, um, <laughs> we both said, wow, we really have to reach out to, to Raphael and, and give him some, some background. Well, I'm glad you did. Glad you did. So yeah. I appreciate you doing that. Cause, uh, like I said, you're, you, you shared a great insight in, into that dimension of things in Xenos that, uh, we, we, we definitely want to, uh, get into. Uh, but, uh, but, but first of all, before you discuss that, how did you get involved in Xenos? What, what was your own, and I hate to use the term, but it speaks. Uh, what was your own career path there? How did you come to be a leader? I mean, everyone there is supposed to become leaders at some, in some manner. So how did you end up uh, going the direction you did there, Dana? All right. Well, let me, I'll just give a little bit of background on myself. So, um, prior to, to joining Xenos, I was raised in, in the Catholic Church. Um, when I was going through the confirmation process in the Catholic Church, we had to read some scriptures and I was meeting with the priest. I was talking about the scriptures and God just spoke to me through his word. So hmm. I remember yeah. reading, reading the word and thinking to myself, if this is true, then this changes everything in my life. You know, if these claims in the Bible are true, then this has to change how I live my life. And I remember talking to the priest about that and we had a, we had a great discussion about it. He was really excited. Um, fast forward, you know, four more years. Um, I graduated college, graduated high school. I started going to Ohio State. Um, I had a friend from high school who invited me to check out her Bible study and I still had that hunger for God. And I was like, sure, I'll come check out your Bible study. So I ended up, um, it ended up being Xenos. So I, Joined Xenos in the college ministry. The college ministry at that time in 1994 was pretty small. There was maybe 60, maybe 50, 60 people in it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, later on in the next year in 1995, I ended up moving into a ministry house and, um, you know, living with other Christians. I think, gosh, we had one summer we had 20 guys in, in our house, you know, <laughs> in a wow. house. Uh, um, summer day. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, two bedrooms, I'll tell you. It, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was really overcrowded. Yeah. But um, once I got into the house, and this, you know, when when you join the church uh, initially, 
right? There's there's not so many meetings. You're maybe going to home church, and then they'll they'll invite you to central teaching or vice versa. Um, but pretty soon you're involved in in those two those two main meetings, and they're weekly meetings. And then someone will start discipling you. Uh, meaning they'll meet with you one on one to start studying the Bible and getting mm-hmm. to know you, and um, and then from there you get invited. And this is this is the path that I took, and this is the path that, that most people take. Um, after you've been discipling with someone for a little bit, they'll invite you into the men's and women's study groups, which they call also called cell groups. That's again another meeting on a Friday night, and these meetings are. Um, there, the time commitment is usually it, there's a, about an hour, a 45 minute to an hour teaching or lecture at these meetings, and then you're also expected to stick around for a few hours of fellowship. So they, they, they end up being like three or four hour blocks. So you know you've got a three hour block on Monday, three hour block on Thursday, you know for home church and CT. And then you've got a three hour block on Friday for your cell group. You're meeting with your discipler on Tuesday nights, and then they. After you've been around for a while, the first thing they try to do is to get you to reach out to your as many friends and family members as you possibly can. You want to try to bring them in because when you first when you first join and you're excited about uh, what you're learning, you're excited about your relationship with God is when it's the that's the best time to start doing evangelism, getting people excited around you. So they're they're working with you to to strategize on how to bring your friends out to meetings, how to bring your family out to meetings, how to get them involved. And if they're not receptive, then you're encouraged not to spend any time with them. Like mm-hmm. not they won't tell you not to spend time with them, but they'll, they'll teach you to be strategic about. It. They use the word strategy a lot. You want to be strategic in how you think through your relationships. So if someone's not being receptive to um to coming to meetings or to the gospel, then you don't want to waste your time on that person. You want to move on to someone else who's receptive. Interesting. And so meetings and gospel, that suddenly the gospel, meeting, suddenly the gospel becomes the meetings, right? It does. It really does. And what happens, Zenos has a lot of, um, for, for decades, they've gotten, um, feedback that they, they, or accusations that they separate people from families, right? And so, Xenos vehemently denies we never teach that. We teach the opposite, that you should be involved with your families. But the culture that they have inside Xenos, as I was just describing, when you have your your nights fill up, and then on Wednesdays they'll throw classes, and that's another three-hour block of time, So especially in the student ministries, right? You very easily have every night of the week is, is completely booked, and your weekends, there's evangelism events, there's house events that you really you're not really able to skip. Because they'll say that you're not required to go, but at the same time, um, there will be people challenging you if you miss any single meeting, right? Right. Um, so I had there was a, there was a woman I was in home church with, and she's very high up in the church. She's a um, what they call a division coordinator. So that's kind of a home church overseer. It's just below elder, but higher than a normal home church leader. And her favorite saying was, um, "You make time for what's important to you." So. If you're choosing not to come to a meeting, that's because it's not important to you, which is just such a black and white way of looking at the world, right? So it's it's a hard issue between you and God if you miss any of these meetings, and that can prevent you from being able to do things in the church like uh, teaching or leading or, or engaging in different ministries. There's different gates you have to pass through of commitment. Um yeah. So then they'll hold you back. So you really have to be very committed. And so what happens is, is that people get sucked in entirely into the church. 
um, so that they really aren't aren't spending time with their old friends that are outside of the church unless they can get them into the church. Um, they're not spending time with their family as much anymore. They're, they're rarely seeing them. Um, yeah. That's because there's so much pressure to attend everything, and there's things meetings that are happening all the time. So when when the, when the elders and the leaders are saying, you know, oh, we don't teach this, we don't teach this, you may not teach it, but you develop a culture that results in that. So right. you're complicit. So. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it starts with pretty much everyone joining, being treated as this potential leader. They're being groomed for it. You know, they're, they're creating this, you know, I mean, they create this irresistible and spiritually romantic draw to be this cutting edge world changer, taking the cities for God. Everyone is, you know, is compelled to be upwardly mobile as a sign of spiritual growth, right? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so part of that draw is a powerful mandate for everyone to submit to leaders unreservedly as to defer to their admonition and to confess freely whatever sin or secret or personal thought that, that you might require to make a spiritual ruling on their behavior. I mean, I mean, if you're a leader, that's what you're expected to do. So along the way, as you developed, as, as you became, become more of a, of a leader, I mean, that was certainly what what uh, became loud and clear part of the, the the marching orders for for elders, right? Right, correct. Yep. Yeah. So, in so in part of that then is is something that you had to you know wield uh, quite often. Uh, I'm sure as you were at, at, now before you became a, you know a full blown leader. I mean, uh, did, did you see? I'm certain you saw. Uh, I don't know if I've even asked that question. I'm certain you saw examples in which that took place. I mean, uh, at, at that point, when you began seeing people being called out for uh, sins and failings, I mean, uh, at what point did you did you see any of that as maybe being overlined or or inappropriate? Right. I, I think that you know the first inkling that I had is um, you know I was, I was in my ministry house and I. You know, I was still kind of a new Christian, and I had a friend over. It was a girl who was over. We were watching a movie together. I had my arm around her, and then, you know, somebody said, hey, can you come here and talk to me for a second? And they're like, what are you doing? And I was like, what do you mean, what am I doing? <laughs> I was like, we're just watching a movie. And they're like, well, but, like, you know, you shouldn't be doing that. And I was like, okay, this is really weird. And so <laughs> that kind of – at first I was like, huh, you know, you're a college kid. It's just – Unexpected. And so the, the more I, after that time, you know, I started, I started talking and to people and, and over time, there's just this, there's this culture that that's underneath it, um, where people's lives are micromanaged, right? Um, and when people cross certain lines, there is discipline that occurs. So, um, you did start to see that, um, you started to see discipline, um, where people would start being treated differently um, after they confess certain things and, you know, viewed different ways and then they really couldn't, couldn't change that. And, and it always eventually leads to, to excommunication. Yeah. Right. So, uh, so I, I would take it that at some point where, were you involved in situations, circles in which you had to exercise, be part of that, uh, that chain of, of authority? Yeah, I did. So um, I was in a group where um, there was a, a guy I excommunicated out, and it's really it's one of it's it's probably my worst memory of uh, being yeah. in ZNS because um, at the time I was convinced that it was the right thing to do, um, even though uh, in, internally uh, I, you know my heart was yelling at me like this this is the wrong choice. But um, but what happens is, um, and this is this is why I reached out to you in, in the first place is. 
as a leader, your goal is to is to grow your home church, right? They told us when when I first became a leader, um, they sat down with us and, and were asking us, "What do you think the goal your goal is as a leader?" And some people were like, "Well, to help people, you know, know Christ." And they're like, "Actually, that's a part of it, but that's not the real goal. The real goal is for you to plant home churches." Wow. Is to replicate home churches. And to, to replicate home churches, you need to do two things. You need to double the size of your group. You need, so you need to do a lot of evangelism. You're starting out with about 20 people in a home church. You need to double the size of it and you need to double your leadership team. Um, so you need to get, there's usually four leaders in a home church. You need to get that up to eight. So you have another leadership team to plant with that new home church. What happens is, is um, in the college ministry, we used to have these leader summits where all the uh, college leaders, where the elders would gather the college leaders for a weekend away. Um, and one of the things they would do at those retreats is they would have a big graph on the on the screen, and on one axis was uh, numerical growth, so number of people you're bringing into the group, and the other axis was um, they they labeled it qualitative growth. So this is you know number of people in your in your home church that are taking classes or uh, things like that so are they are they learning are they progressing down that leadership track and are you growing numerically and then they would use because we, we have to as a leader you're, you're submitting statistics to the elders constantly um, who's coming to meetings who's taking classes who's being discipled who's discipling other people who's bringing people to the group you're you're delivering those statistics weekly to the elders if you miss a week god you hear about it <laughs> they yell at you about it um so they they ingest those stats constantly and so they were put each home church on this chart and if you if you weren't in the high growth and high quality quadrant then you, if you were in a different quadrant, then you had some problems. And they would brainstorm about what those problems were. They'd ask you, you know, um, do you need to uh, raise the tension on people to bring more people out to the group? Do you need to raise the tension on people's lives to to take more classes? And if you're like, well, we're doing everything we can and nothing seems to be changing, then the answer was, well, there's probably some sin in your group. Uh, okay. And so – what would happen is, you know, they were really adamant that you need to root out the sin in your group. And mm-hmm. they particularly always zeroed in on sexual sin. So if anybody's um, having sex, and they define the sexual sin as anybody who's having sex, right? So they use the passages in First Corinthians that talk about the um, the, um, the guy who was uh, having sex with his mom and the church was celebrating that as the, as the justification for um, disciplining anyone in, in the group who's having sex, um, no matter if it's in a you know, committed dating relationship or something like that. There's a different. I, I feel like there's a difference between teaching about, you know, the biblical view of sexuality and disciplining everyone for for consensual adults. It's you know I think there's a difference there that they don't capture. But my my point is that is they make a direct connection between sexual activity in your home group and in your Bible study and growth. And since growth is the goal. Um, those, those sexual activities are preventing God from using your group. So you need okay. to take action and discipline um, the person involved in that. And if they don't repent, if you confront them and they don't repent, it's really a three-strike system. So you go to them individually and ask, you know, and say, hey, you know, you need to repent. And more than repenting, they, they need to stop doing it. So it's either like breaking up with their with their partner or 
um, or some other way to prove that they're not doing it anymore. Mm-hmm. And then if that doesn't happen, then you take one other brother or sister with you and you confront them. And if that doesn't change, then you would actually bring them in front of the actual church. You would sit them down in front of, you'd get all, you know, 30, 40 people in your home church together. You bring this person in and you would tell the entire church what they were doing and, and mm-hmm. all the gory details of it. Yeah. Um, Mm-hmm. And then everybody's pleading mm-hmm. with them, like, oh, please change your mind. You know, please, you know, don't do this. So already this is, you know, you're, you've crossed a line and then just, just embarrassing these people entirely before the, the church, airing all of their dirty laundry to everybody. Um, and, you know, it's just, it was always this very emotional thing. So, um, the way that the elders spun this to us as leaders was that, you know, when you, when you do this, what you'll see happen is that people will recommit to Christ and that we usually see that the, that the home church comes together after we, we do this discipline. Um, the growth takes off exponentially again. And, and the end justifies the means, right? It becomes, yep. The end justifies the means. It becomes a good thing. And the person kicked out, they're never heard from again. Right. You're supposed to not talk to them or engage with them unless it's about their sin. Um, and because of the way that the, the church is structured and how busy you are, you don't have time for anybody who's not at those meetings with you. Mm-hmm. Who's not a, a priority. You know, you're not who you're not being strategic with. So yeah. when people leave or get disciplined out, it really is a shunning. You don't see them anymore. Uh, and then they feel very, very alone and trapped. Yeah, that's, that sounds, that would warm the heart of any Jehovah's Witness elder or any other cultic authority leader that does exactly the same thing because shunning is to me the most evil sign of, 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 of how damaging uh, a group can be. And it, it seems like Xenos has developed this into a fine art. Uh, it's not a matter of shooting the wounded, it is just pushing them off the ambulance and letting, just leaving them to, 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 to crash out, uh, in, in, in a ditch somewhere forgotten. Uh, because that's basically what happens. It's, it's death by attrition. It's not, it's not even, it's not discipline. It's just complete death. It's not even, it's not even redemptive. It's just to absolutely crush someone down. You know, one of the things that happened is, is when I left the, uh, the church in 2018, um, you know, I, Again, it was, you know, you're very alone when you leave, but, uh, people started talking and right around that time is when people started connecting on, online about it. And I think it started with one, one guy who was a friend of mine. He, I forget if it was in Reddit or somewhere else, but he posted his name, uh, his full name and said, I left and then this is why and this, this place is, is a cult. And, I, and then I, I reached out to him online and, um, he was really scared because he thought I was still involved in a leader and stuff and he didn't want to open it, but then he opened it up and, <laughs> and we ended up connecting online and then more and more people started talking yeah. and the stories are just heartbreaking because yeah. then the one that I think that stuck out to me, there was one girl who I knew in college group that w- had been kicked out and she commented on how for years, years and years, how she felt completely alone and rejected by God. And I thought, there's nothing less redemptive or more unspiritual of an outcome that you could ever hope for from, from this activity than that. And it just, it broke my heart and it made me mad. Yeah. Yeah. Because people, I mean, this is blaspheming God's name to people. Right. Um, and it's it just, is. it just made me really sad. It just yeah. did. 
Because in the end, it's it's that ambition, the loyalty, and submission to the authority of the group that's the mark of approval to Xenos. It's what you yeah. do for them. It's not the reflection of the character of Jesus Christ and love, grace, and humility. It's just being part of a cog, a very sharp, well-defined, high-spinning, high-output cog in the works to keep it rolling, to keep it moving at some level. That becomes really the issue. I mean, yeah, that's right. that, that. That is very much uh, an indignant thing to hear, and it's, it's 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 one of the reasons. Like I said, I'm involved with this. I mean, as as a Christian minister, as one mm-hmm. devoted to preaching the gospel and and helping make disciples of Christ, I see this as probably one of the most ugliest forms of of repression of the human spirit I've ever seen. I mean, yeah. Redmond Fellowship, and I've been battling them for 20 years. Reverend Fellowship is, is just as evil, uh, but they're almost pikers compared to what you, to what Xenos is doing. Xenos has created this, this, this highly tuned and, and very effective machine of, of control that, that beggars description. I, I, I have rarely seen cults that much more damaging, uh, than, than Xenos. I, I, I mean, there are other, Cultic movements on campuses like the International Church of Christ and and mm-hmm. Eastern Lighting and the Unification Movement uh, certainly was right. in its day a, a just as bad and, and and but but they but they had multiple audiences they pulled to. I mean, Xenos is completely focused upon the idealism and, and the good graces of young people who are at the at that point in their lives, nineteen, twenty, twenty one. They're the most yeah. open to changing their lives, right, right. To, to submitting. And uh and I'm sure you saw as a leader over and over instances in which people just undeservedly gave their hearts to to the organization and found that, that that's what they were doing. Uh they were giving it to a machine and not to God. Right. Yeah, we were trusting the, these these people who were you know much older, much more mature um than us. Um, you know, they <laughs> yeah, they they um they, they micromanage people's lives. Um, you know, when I was in college, you know, Dennis, uh, you know, I was in the, in the nineties, you know, where Gen X, Dennis used to do these uh, exertors where he'd take people out to other uh, promising leaders in the college ministry. They'd go and visit other churches around the country, you know, places like Cavalry or Mars Hill, places like that. He would interview people there and then come back and present their findings to our, uh, to the, they'd call it a workers meeting. It was people who were involved in the, in the cell groups. They would get them all together in the college ministry and they'd tell us their findings from the trips. And then the findings were always the same is that no one is doing anything close to the level of ministry and commitment that Xenos has. That, uh, Xenos, and Dennis literally said that Xenos is maybe the only real church in America and possibly even the world at that meeting. And, you know, we, <laughs> wow. every, every night he, you know, there were, there were teachings there. It was always focused on, on the numbers, on, on outreach and bringing people in. It was, you know, one of their, his favorite teachings was, you know, you're, imagine you're at this party and everybody's, um, got, uh, a terminal illness, but you have the cure. Uh, you're the only one with the cure. What's the loving thing to do is to just spend your entire life, you know, you know, give everything you have to save as many people as you can. And so it was just this, um, this, this unbelievable amount of pressure to, to devote your entire life to, to this cause and how they manipulated you. I mean, there's one of the papers I think that gets talked about a lot, um, is, uh, propositions on a uh, Christ uh, community, or is it, what is it? Propositions on Christ culture and career is this career paper that was popular at the time. And it's just, it's basically like, you know, you, you need to, 
it tells people that you need to stay in Columbus. And this was popular when our high school students were checking out um, the college ministry before they were going to join, you know, um, they would have teachings about this. And it's, it's basically saying that, you know, going away out of Columbus for college is a sin. You know, you might not even be a believer if you would want to leave Columbus, if you would want to leave Zenos. God planted you here sovereignly. Um, it's your duty to give your life to this. And so there are many, many people I knew that turned down scholarships, um, career opportunities to stay in the college ministry and, and so, you know, sell their lives out. People who dropped out of college in order to do to do this work, this ministry. And then when they get older and they're in middle age and they're struggling with their careers, the church isn't there to help them anymore. And a lot of times they just kick them out anyway. You know, so people who have sacrificed so much for the church, you know, there, there's no reciprocal commitment to those people. Right. It's, it's really, it's really sad. You know? Right. Right. It's, it's, and it's ultimately that's, that's again, how, how, how things work in cults. I mean, uh, you're, you're, you're only as good in the cult as, as you are useful and productive. I mean, yeah. there's a myth about, about people, uh, when they, when, when that's, I have an actual article on the website about that where I talk about, uh, the, 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 the popular myths about cults. And one of those is that cults only go after the fearful, the weak, the feeble minded, people who are ignorant. That's, that's so completely wrong. Cults mm-hmm. target the, the sharpest, most, most, uh, sensitive, most intellectual, most energetic individuals of society because that's who they want energizing their, their structure, their system. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I'm sure as, as a leader, Going to these all these institutes, uh, that's something you kept hearing, right? You kept hearing that we need to keep people working, need to keep people busy. Um, I think we mentioned, and I've heard this mentioned by others, is that that one of the things that uh, that was used popularly as an illustration about the growth of Xenos is that what you really want to see the churches do is replicate like like a cancer, like a virus. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, that was yeah, that was the teaching. It was like bacteria, you know. If every person brought out just two people a year, and then those people each brought out two, you know, we then you know after like you know ten years, you know, everybody in Ohio would be in Zenos or something like that, and then the next year, you know, half of the East Coast, and that that was the model that they were pushing constantly. And it's you know, it's like a well, it's wow. like an Amway movement or like a pyramid scheme, you know. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. kind of where that, that it's, it's that kind of business philosophy, right? Where if you just get two people and they get two people and you know. Yeah. And that's, yeah. and, and, and you, you think, well, you're going to draw from what the Bible is. <laughs> what a novel concept. Draw from what mm-hmm. the Bible says about church, about true Christian growth. You would look at the book of Acts and see how it actually happened. But it seems that, and as I was sharing with Katie last week, you know, part of the things that we, that we talked about, uh, Katie Renneker, uh, one of the things that we talked about is the fact that, that the, the whole culture, uh, underlying Xenos is more that of a, well, let's say that you, and you've already mentioned, uh, an organization, a corporate organization built on marketing itself relentlessly to a, to a single focused demographic in such a way that everyone is called on to give ultimate sacrifices. And then when you're no longer useful, you're, you're let out the pat. You're not let out the pastor. You're just cut off. Right. Yep. Yep. It's either 100% or nothing. That's really what it comes down yeah, to. Yeah. Right. 
I remember the story. I remember the scene in Animal Farm. Uh, I don't know if you remember reading the book Animal Farm by George Orwell, yeah. in which there's the, the the great hardworking draft horse boxer who uh, just absolutely slaves away. He gives himself to the cause of building up the 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 the, the uh, colony of animals who've taken over a farm from an evil farmer and are creating their own little society and increasingly the, the, the leadership is demanding more and more of all the animals. The leadership are, are, are the pigs of course and, and mm-hmm. pig, pigs become the leaders because of course we have uh, the sharpest you know, sticks in the woods there and um, the boxer just becomes totally dominated by and, 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 um, and enchanted by uh, their their continual cries for for sacrifice and he, he gives himself un, unceasingly to help build a windmill by by draw by dragging uh, rocks that that the animals cut out from a quarry and, and he, he finally gets injured his strength gives out and in the end um they they were all they've all been reminded by the by the pig leadership hey we're going to take care of you you're going to go out to pasture you'll be taken care of you can eat you can rest in the end, they find they find that the uh, that poor boxer is is packed away in a wagon uh, with a, with a bunch of men taking him off to the glue factory. Mm-hmm. So so it, it, so it's a very you know very very sterile kind of business that uh, authoritarianism will do to to eliminate those who are no longer useful, and and that sounds exactly what Zenas does. Uh, by yes. by using all this paperwork, this lead, this 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 um, all these different things uh, that it uses to assess people, that that's how the organization focuses on who's the weak, uh, who and who who are those who do not deserve to be among us anymore, and that's uh, stemming to another bit of cult mind control. One of the eight principles of cult mind control that Dr. Robert J. Lifton posited was that um, ultimately one of the things that you would see. Uh, in, in that is, is one, one, one principle called, um, uh, the, uh, the doctrine, uh, the, the, the belief of doctrine over person. Your experience and, and who you are. I mean, not doctrine over person. I mean, uh, let me repeat this. Um, my, my manipulation, what is it? Um, it's doctrine over person. It's, oh, the dispensing of existence. Okay. Okay. The dispensing of existence in uh, is the principle of the dispensing of existence is one of eight mind control uh, concepts that Dr. Robert J. Lifton uh, posited about how cults and how totalism change minds and practice thought reform. What what we call cult mind control and the dispensing of existence means that a group has the right has assumed itself the divine right and the authority to determine whether or not a person is allowed to exist or or, 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 or even be allowed to, to be acknowledged as existing in a group. In other words, they can tell you whether or not, whether, whether you're, you're sliced butter or whether you're just dirt. You know, right. and, and, and that's exactly how, how, what I see Xenos doing every day, every single day. And, and that mm-hmm. was part of, of how, how it works. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. yep. So, so as part of that process, and I know, I know these are these, these are not easy things to talk about. I understand, but as part of that process, as part of the group of people who were called upon to exercise 
discipline as necessary. Uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, I understand you weren't alone in having to make these, these tough decisions. There were other, mm-hmm. uh, people that had to, had to abide by them and, and, and exercise authority that they were given up to, uh, or given to, um, to exercise. Uh, what were some of the other, can you recall moments in which you, you met with other leaders? Uh, talking about this very thing and you found them hesitating or having the same crisis of conscience that, that you had in terms of, uh, of actually exercising discipline? Were there, were there other leaders that actually felt the same way you did? Yeah, I would say, you know, the, the last one church I was involved in before I left, um, there was, um, a guy I was studying with who was, um, he had been in the college group, uh, when I was, and I, I, you know, I would talk to him about my misgivings about this quite a bit. And he agreed with me on most of it, right? I mean, we, we would talk, he would, he had, he was in agreement about it. Um, he'd nod his head and be like, yeah, I see that too. But what it comes down to is usually what you would hear back from other leaders when you talk to it, it's like, well, you know, no church is perfect. We all make mistakes and, and where else are you going to go? You know? Every church is going to have, is going to have issues. Um, and it, it, so it's really, you know, people see it, but no one really, um, I guess feels they, they're empowered to change it. Um, and just accept it because, you know, the, the good outweighs the bad. I think that's how most people would see it. Yeah. The church is growing. People are pure. So, so called. Uh, the, uh, attendance is up, numbers are up, you know, more butts in the seats. I mean, well, and that's, hey, and, and, that's what it is. And that's right? part of the problem too, is they, they directly also equate growth with the God's hand on somebody's ministry or lack right. of growth with God removing their hand. So, you know, that, that's where they, they get the, um, uh, you know, if, if your group's not growing, then it's indicative of there's some sin or rebellion in that group. Um, because right. God's not blessing you with growth and groups that are growing are like, well, they're doing whatever they're doing is right because God's blessing them with growth. And that doesn't, that's not, you know, that's not the case. Sometimes you just have some charismatic person that's leading that group and that doesn't mean anything about God's hand on it. I mean, they can be, you know, just, you know, bringing people out because they've got a great personality. They're very charming. And, um, you know, a good teacher or something like that. But but that's that would be interpreted inside the group as someone who's God's got their hand on and they get a lot of attention because, you know, they're getting butts in seats and, and growing the group. Right, exactly. And and, and the thing is is that uh when it comes down to that, to making sure there's no sin in the camp, um this this fascination with, with, with sexuality uh just seems to be I guess the most uh uh, well-known aspect of Zenos's uh, abusive discipleship, uh, but they seem to ignore probably the more common things, such as you know, you know personal character, you know, whether people lie, whether people steal, mm-hmm. whether people right. uh, are, are actually forgiving and, and not having nasty tempers. It seems like those sort of things are tolerated and and nowhere near as discussed in that level than than sex. I mean, right. I, I mean, yeah. those are those are those are the heart character issues that any concerned Christian would certainly want to take heed to as part of of, of wanting to look more like Jesus, to be a mm-hmm. disciple and a follower of His, to, to to be a light in the world. You, you need to be uh, in the light, and but right. but sex always seems to be the one thing that seems to have, hold down the most uh, the most uh, priority. In discipling, I mean, uh, I, I understand what you mentioned about about that, but 
Uh, have you ever seen any kind of zeal on other on other kinds of ways, uh, or is it, or is sex really the really the only thing that 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 really matters to uh, to purity when it comes about talking about that? Uh, sex is definitely the biggest one. It's definitely the most common one that that you hear about. I think you know all of the I think every home church I was in, there's probably in seven or eight different home churches over the, the course of my time there. Um, I think every home church uh, excommunicated someone, at least some, one person for. Sex in that time. Um, there are other sins that they will excommunicate for. I haven't personally been witness to it, but um, I have heard that there are some other ones. I think you know, if someone was uh, uh, abusive, like physically abusive or something like that, they might um, uh, do an excommunication for that. But even then, it's I like I said, I haven't. There's none that I personally am aware of. Okay. It may have happened, but the sexual ones, uh, it's a dime a dozen. And it's just, it's in every group that, that you're a part of. And part of the thing is our leaders meetings were, as leaders, there's usually four leaders in a group. We met every week or two, um, uh, and would just discuss everybody. We'd get out our ministry, we had a ministry chart, you know, of all the people in the group and who's doing what with who. And, you know, all the information on all the what's going on in your home church, you know, who's talking to who about what, you know, what's going on in all their lives, that all gets filtered up to you as a leader. Um, and we're discussing those things in our leaders meetings and trying to come up with plans from what we know to create tension in people's lives, to push them forward. Or if we know we find out that there's a sin, then we need to to step in, but it's so, it's, there's so much micromanagement that happens in those meetings. Right. And you're, you're taught that it's for their good. You know, this is what you're supposed to do as a Christian, but man, you're really, you're, you're removing, um, and you know, I didn't realize this till I was much older, but you're really removing the Holy Spirit from the, from the equation or, exactly. or what God's doing in people's lives. You know, we have a home church overseer as a, that would come meet with you. This is someone who's above a home church leader, below an elder. Um, they would come and talk to you about what's going on in your group, and they would have the stats. And, you know, I've met with these people for years and years and years, and the one thing they never asked me in all those years, not a single one ever asked me, you know, what's God doing with the people in your group? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that's not important. It's what, you know, how many people are in classes? You know, who's bringing out people? How can you get more evangelism going? How can you get more discipleship? You know? And all nicely documented and everything, right? Oh, God, the, the database is huge. They keep so much information on people. That's, and that's one of the reasons I got, I got upset too. Is I don't, I'm not sure if it was your interview or one of the NBC, NBC4 stories or something, but the, the elders tried to say that they, they, they don't know who's in, who lives in the ministry houses. And, um, that was our talk. a lie. Yeah, okay, we were yeah, talking to Conrad talking. and Kate about that. And, um, like you said, they did just flat out deny it. And it, to, to me, it's just that, that really, was so disappointing for me to hear from elders because I used to, I submitted those statistics. I know that they know who lives in the ministry houses. We would talk mm-hmm. to our overseers about who was living in the houses and who could move in and who couldn't. You know, they have a database with everybody's addresses in them. I mean, if they're living in the same house, they know who's living in that house. So it's just such, it's so sad to see the lying. I mean, if you're lying to protect an organization, right? And that, that's part of my frustration is, is lying to protect the organization means that, you know, the organization is more important than the people that that you've placed this organization at a, at a much higher level than the people who are who are being hurt here right so exactly and and in this and then when you step in to actually become the holy spirit and do his work of convicting and reproving and when you when you start stepping in and assuming that burden for yourself 
Wow. I mean, you, that just speaks yeah. to me. I mean, that, that to me is the greatest argument, uh, that, that I've put forth in my articles and in my discussion about Xenos over the past few months is that what Xenos is really doing? They've created another gospel that's alien to the biblical good news. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, in, in second Corinthians 11, four, you know, Paul the apostle bemoans the Corinthian church for, for their being so easily seduced by religious authority figures who preached mm-hmm. what he called another gospel by the power of uh, another spirit to proclaim a deity that they called another Jesus. And that's exactly what Zenos is doing. Uh, as I wrote right. to you, you know, I said that, you know, the majesty and all sufficiency we should, we should regard God with is completely lost in Zenos. They lose the tree on Golgotha by wandering in their own forest of busy work that's yeah. created more fertilating, yeah. self-aggrandizing that authentic Christian formation. And as again, as a pastor, you know, devoted to, to, to Christian discipleship, we're, we're, uh, that enrages me, that, that infuriates me. Because uh, mm-hmm. what they're doing, close relationships, people where, it's in, where community is intentional, where people are meeting regularly, that's not the problem. That, that certainly is, is, is a wonderful way of, 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 of organizing and, and certainly bringing people into authentic community. But it's what you do in those meetings and, and how much of, of, of importance you hang on them that turns it yeah. into, a, into a religious machine, not a Christian community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree completely. I, I mean, that's where, where, the, where the rubber meets the road. So, so at what point while you're involved in all this – you know, at what point did you finally start realizing, look, um, stuff isn't adding up here. I, and how much of that dissonance that what, 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 what we, uh, that cognitive dissonance that it, that struggle to, to reconcile two irreconcilable truths, um, you know, your conscience between what the organization wanted, how much of that went on in your head and, 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 and what was it that began leading you to understanding and, and realizing, look, this, this, this place isn't where I, where I should be. This, 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 this is just something I need, I need to get out of. Well, unfortunately, I'm a, I'm a very stubborn and committed person, so it took me a very long time to get to that point. Right. But, uh, the, but the first thing that happened is when I was in the college ministry, there was a point where I had a complete panic attack, um, a complete, basically a nervous breakdown. At that point, I'm teaching every week. I'm going to school full time. I'm working 30 hours a week, and I'm going to five meetings a week on the weekends. So, uh, you know, it was just it was a pressure cooker. And eventually I remember I was walking on campus and I felt like I was having a heart attack. And, you know, I'm in my early twenties at this point. And the two kids had to carry me into the med center and they said, you're having a panic attack. And I thought I was dying, but um, it was then that I started to realize I can't, I, I'm doing way too much. Like I can't do this. I can't keep up with this pressure. Um, so I started to, to take some steps back a little bit and to try and, and not do quite so much. Um, if I was smart, I would have uh, put more together about that. But um, um, instead, um, I kept at it. We kept working at things. Our home church wasn't growing so fast in the college ministry. We were getting older. Um, we had a kid. And um, and I had always had misgivings, like, about that discipline when we when we kicked that, uh, that guy out of my group. Um, it it didn't sit well with me. I didn't have the experience that they said I should have where, where, you know, it should bring the group together. It should bring um, peace to the group and growth. It just, it didn't, it's not how it went. It felt horrible. Um, and I felt sad on the inside and my group, you know, it, it didn't motivate anybody. 
Um, eventually they asked us to, to, uh, leave the college, but they disbanded our, our home group. And at that point, uh, my wife and I were talking, we almost left, uh, Zenos at that point, but, uh, we thought we would go to a different side of the church and see what things were like. We were always on gear on Dennis's side of the church and, you know, we'd heard good things about Gary's side. So when we went to the adult group, we went to Gary's side. And typical like Xenos, so if you're gone, you're gone. When we left the college ministry after serving there for, for 10 or 12 years, um, uh, we didn't even get a thank you or anything like that. The, the next day they took us off the, uh, all the email groups and said, you know, just go up to the visitor center. Like you're, you're, it's your first time at the church and we'll, we'll try and find you a place. <laughs> um, so, uh, we, we wow. ended up joining, uh, Gary's group and for a little while it was pretty good. Um, but then over time, um, well, I started to see that the same things that I saw in the, in the college ministry on Dennis's side were still there on the adult side over with Gary. There's this micromanaging of people's lives that occurs in the leaders' meetings. Um, you know, people have come, I'm sure you've heard stories where people complain um, about uh, being told who they can and cannot date. Right. For example, there, there's that level of control. Well, I saw that in the adult ministry, too. I mean, there was a guy in our group who was divorced, and we're at the leaders' meeting, and one of the leaders in the group said, hey, you know, I don't think this guy's ready to date, but he's, you know, he's hanging out with this girl in this other group, so I'm going to go talk to the leaders over there and let them know that he's not ready so they can talk to her so that they won't get together. And they did. And no one is aware that this is this, these conversations are happening in the background. So this guy's probably gone on a few dates and then all of a sudden this girl won't talk to him anymore and he's probably wondering why. And it's because the leaders, you know, went to the other home group and had a chat. Right? Yeah. Uh, so just micromanaging, controlling all these little details. Um, you know, it just, it was terrible. And, and so finally we, so my wife and I were trying to make it work. We're trying to, to continue to serve, um, and to stay involved. And, and finally it just got to the, you know, we're raising our kids, my kids in junior high group. Uh, this is the kind of the, the straw that broke the camel's back for me. So, uh, my son was in the junior high ministry and I was doing the junior high ministry with him. So that means, you know, we have a, a 15 minute Bible study with uh, a bunch of middle school boys and we're going out and it's just me and a couple other dads. We're, we're playing sports for a couple hours, doing some scavenger hunts. It's a lot of fun. Um, uh, something we really enjoy doing together. Uh, right. But at the same time, in my adult group, I had stopped going to my men's Bible study. And I had stopped going to that men's Bible study for a couple reasons. Uh, primarily, the, the reason was I was really busy. Um, I was leading my other younger son's scout group, working on weekends at the time quite a bit. Um, didn't have time for it. And it was a meeting where, you know, one of the things that happens when, when you're planting groups so frequently like they do in Xenos is that over time, you start to not have real relationships in those groups because you can't reinvent deep relationships every two years with brand new people. And so over time you end up in groups where, you know, you're not, there's not a good depth of relating in those groups. You know, it's, it's sort of like uh, any other, any other group in the world, like, you, you know, your kid's soccer team or something, you're, you're friends with the parents, but then, you know, when the season's over, you're, you know, you don't, you don't see them as much. It's sort of like that. Um, over time in Xenos, but they're telling you it's these amazing relationships, but then the reality is they're not that great. Um, they're superficial. <laughs> but so I, I stopped going yeah. to this men's group and what happened was, is at first, you know, they started talking to me a little bit about it, like, Hey, you know, why aren't you coming? <laughs> and I told them why I wasn't coming because the, the, the content of that meeting, I wasn't getting anything out of it and I wasn't contributing anything to it. And with my time crunch, I just couldn't do it anymore. 
And I thought, you know, I'm going to take some ownership of my life and not go to this anymore. There's no point. I'm too busy. Um, and then they, um, they eventually came to me and said, all right, so we've talked it over with, uh, with the elders and you can't, you can't do this junior high group with your kid anymore. And I said, well, why not? And I said, well, because, because you're not committed. God can't speak through you anymore. Um, that was what they told me. So because I'm still going to two meetings a week. I'm going to home church. I'm going to, to central teaching. I just stopped going to my men's group. Now that means that God can't speak through me anymore. I'm lukewarm. I'm not a good example, not a good witness. Um, and I have to go tell my son that I can't do this, this, this meeting with him anymore that he loves. Oh, that's So I sit, my, I sit my son down. I tell, I explain to him that I wow. can't do this Bible study anymore with him. And he starts crying, right? And I think that's when something finally woke up in me, like this church that I've given, you know, the past 24 years of my life to, like literally every night of the week for like 24 years, I don't even know how many thousands of dollars, um, is going to have me treat my son like this, is doing this to my family when I'm giving them still like 80%, not 100%. Like this, this is crazy. This is, this is abusive. Um, I, and I never went back after that. I said, enough. You know, I'm done. And, and that's, that's when I left. And, and that's really what it is. It's exactly right. when you're saying like you're, you're just a cog in the wheel. You're important to them when you're producing something. But the minute you don't produce a hundred percent, they, um, everyone's disposable. Every single person's disposable. Yeah. So whether, whether they're kicking people out or people aren't producing enough, they just get tossed aside. So that was in 2018. That's when that epiphany finally came to you. Wow. Yeah. And then, you know, since then, it's just been, it's been a lot of reflecting on, uh, on the past, you know, and realizing all these layers of, of abuse that, that and, and manipulation that have gone on. And you don't see it. I mean, you really, I feel bad for the people involved because when I was involved, you don't see it. Everything's explained away and it's spir- super spiritualized, right? But when you actually stop to look back on what's happening and how people are being treated, you're like, well, wait a minute, this isn't right. This isn't biblical at all. This isn't. No, this isn't Jesus who left the 99 for the one. This is <laughs> right. exactly this is something seriously wrong here, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, and, and at that point, uh, there was, how did, how did that impact your family? I mean, how, how are you guys doing with it all now? I mean, I, that's, I mean, to be involved yeah. that, to that degree for so long, I mean, uh, how, how it affect you guys? How are you guys doing with it now? The first year was really hard because when I left, my wife was still involved and she wasn't ready to leave. So she probably stayed on for about another year. My son really liked his high school group a lot and wanted to continue that. He continued that through his, he had one more year left in it. So I let him finish that out. Um, and then, you know, my wife and I, we had a lot of, um, we had a lot of discussions for about a year about it. And then she also decided to leave. Okay. And, and my son decided to leave. And my, my children have gotten involved with, um, with Young Life and, um, you know, they, they both are having good, great experiences there. My, uh, my wife and I, we've checked out some other churches. We've, um, let's see, we've, we've gotten involved a little bit here and there. She's more involved than I am. I feel like I'm still processing a lot of this past and it's hard for me. I'll be honest with you. It's really hard for me to, um, jump in and get involved in, in another group right sure. now because, because of this background. So I've been struggling with that. I still, I love God. I love the gospel. Uh, I love grace. Um, 
And, uh, you know, I've been trying also trying to help people recover from, from Xenos. There's been, um, there's been a huge outpouring of people uh, discussing these things. There's been some support groups online that have sprung up and uh, I've tried to, um, I've tried to help out on those groups to, um, you know, just offer explanations from the leader side of things to be supportive of people to just to listen, just to just a lot of it's just listening, listening to people and validating them because, you know, when people leave, no one ever follows up with them. And they right. usually, a lot of times, are just on their own and alone. They've been sucked into this community and, and are just completely cut off from it with nothing. And they just need to talk. They need to process it, get it out. And um, so trying to do that. Right. Well, I'm glad, well, I'm certainly glad to hear that you're on that process because so many people never get there. So many people yeah. never get to that point where they realize that they they need help. And that it wasn't their fault. Uh, they were mm-hmm. they were put into a situation uh, where they uh, they became trapped. They became slaves. They became completely uh, uh, bound by a, by a, an evil, rigid system uh, of abuse that completely controlled them, overwhelmed them. I mean, one of the sad things I hear from people, and one of the things I know that uh, Katie and I and others have spoken with is that. People who some who, who find themselves, you know, uh, whether they whether they walk out or whether they're kicked out, um, they find themselves so full of guilt, so full yeah. of, of pain, so full of self incrimination that they that that you know that they didn't you know measure up to the standards of the organization. First of all, mm-hmm. if they can right. get if they can get beyond that hurdle, then they began feeling guilty and stupid. They begin, how can I be so dumb? How can I be so, so, yeah. uh, so completely spiritually inept to get involved? Well, that's not the point. You know, that, mm-hmm. that, that, that's, that's something that I, I tell a lot of people struggling with that is that, listen, you didn't go into this stupid. You didn't go into this blind. Uh, you, you, you went into this right. with a good heart, with a, with a, with a, with a, with a, a mind and a, and a spirit that were set up to, to serve people. You wanted, you, you had the right reasons for being there. You didn't count that people were going to lie to you and turn you into a slave and turn you into, right. into something that basically was just, uh, uh, like I said, a drone. You became an object. You became, a, like you said, uh, only were only functional, only valuable when you're functional. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you didn't count on people treating you that way, but that's what happened. So, so, uh, that's the reason why, you know, feeling bad about feeling guilty should, should never be in, in, in the mind because you didn't know, you didn't know what they were right. going to do. Nobody does. You know, nobody, nobody, as I say, nobody joins a cult. They join a movement that's going to enrich themselves, change the world, bring them closer to God. Mm-hmm. They didn't go to become part of a, of a, of a, of, a, of an evil system. They didn't. So, uh, no, oh, yeah. And, and I'm glad yeah, you're there. I'm glad you're able, able to share people that way. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, um, I really appreciate you sharing us and, and we, we intend to have you back to share a little more in the future. Uh, with, and, uh, I, I appreciate you taking the time now, but, uh, as we close here, um, Steve, I mean, is, is, I mean, looking back, 
and at, at where you've been and that the people, you know, that you've, that you've uh, been forced to basically leave behind because they all shunned you. Um, are there, is there something perhaps that maybe you'd like to say, maybe perhaps to, to, to those fellow leaders, uh, to those who you once discipled, is there something you'd like to say to, to either populists or other, or something you'd just like to maybe share with them that uh, maybe is your insight and maybe you'd like to leave a, a message perhaps to, to those who may, who may be listening. And by the way, you're all welcome. I'm glad you keep coming back and listening because I know you're there. <laughs> so is there something you'd like to share? And, and I want to give you a floor for just a few more minutes to kind of you know, uh, uh, have a chance to share that. Right, absolutely. So, um, first, for anyone who um, felt wronged by me or felt the hammer of of uh, the church coming down on anybody who I've kicked out, um, I, I want to deeply, from the bottom of my heart, apologize. And if there's anything that I can do to um, to talk to you, or if you want to talk to me, or if you want to um, you just get together and chat. Any any time, I, I I would love that. Um, I, I just feel bad about that. Um, for the for the leaders in the in the church, I think that uh, for the elders, um, I, I think they're in a state of denial about the issues in the church. Um, I think that they try to paint the people who are speaking up online as the enemy. Um, they've tried to uh, paint them as. Uh, to paint this, uh, just, just to brush all of this away as attack because they're transitioning to a new leadership team, right? So Gary and Dennis are retiring and the new leaders are taking over. So all of this is just satanic attack that, that's coming out. And I just want to challenge them to really listen to the people who are speaking because these aren't people who hate you. They're hurt. They're absolutely hurt by you. Uh, but these are people who called Xenos home. I called Xenos home for 24 years, you know. Um, when the current elders, um, I was there when they were kids, you know. When we were, we were both in, uh, all in the college group together. So I know, I know who these people are. Um, we're not your enemy. We're your sheep. Uh, the people out there who are hurt are your flock. They're your sheep, pastor. Um, and they need to change their view. Um, you know, Jesus didn't, uh, didn't beat up the sheep and leave them to die. He left the 99 sheep for the one sheep who had wandered away. And there's, there's no empathy coming from this leadership. They are solely focused on maintaining the bureaucracy, maintaining the structure, maintaining Xenos, the organization. And they are not, they're, they've, they've lost the, what's important. They've lost the first love. They've lost, uh, Christ in that. And, um, yeah, that that's really what I want to leave them with. Yeah, and it truly is a moment of decision to make, isn't it, for for someone in upper level leadership of Zenos to hear? You know, you got to make up your mind and choose which side of the of history, which side of 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 the paradigm of right and wrong you want to be on. You know, I yeah. certainly agree with you on that. That uh, at, at this point, they can rise up, become part of the solution. Or, or continue to remain part of the problem. Uh, yeah. one, one thing's for sure, we're not going away. We're going to do all we can to keep providing voices 
uh, or keep providing a platform for the voices of people that approach us. If there's people out there uh, who would like uh, to offer your own insights uh, by way of interview, we'd love to hear from you. Please email us, contact us, talk to us. Let us know how we can uh, how we can do that. And uh, we'd love to keep hearing from you. We, we, we already have, you know, like I know several other people just from Xenos who are still lined up waiting to be interviewed. And we're, we're getting to you. Please be patient. Uh, we've had an awful lot of, of, of incredible in, insight and, and people just coming forward, offering um, to, to share their stories with us. And, uh, and I, I'm so grateful that, that, that you are one of them, Steve. I'm, I'm thankful for the insight you provide us today and, and look forward to having you back on the podcast again real soon. Thank you once again for being here, sir. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Raphael. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks for listening today as we explore just where are we going? Our prayer is that you have been encouraged and strengthened and if necessary, challenged in your daily journey through life. Jesus is coming. You can fall with the night or you can rise with the sun. The choice is yours. You can email us with questions and comments at feedback at spiritwatch.org. And if you need urgent personal spiritual help, email us at help at spiritwatch.org. We look forward to hearing from you. Please follow our podcasting at our Facebook page and our website at spiritwatch.org. This podcast is a production of Spirit Watch Ministries, taking heed that no man deceives you.